0: So what's on the Mandyland schedule?
1: Um, well, I just wanted to check in and see how, how you're doing, especially given that there's been some changes. Um, yep. So I don't know, I, could, I thought maybe we could talk about like, first of all, you going back to work because that was a change and then what's happened since then. Do you want to yep. sort of start with that and say, talk about your experience going back to work? Yeah, we can do that. Yep. Okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to start? <laughs> I will start. I will start.
0: Um so yes, I I started a gradual return to work. I believe it was like the beginning of March. And so just for anybody who doesn't know what a gradual return to work is, it's essentially starting out with uh, a few hours per week and gradually working your way up uh, to more hours and more complex tasks as you go along to try to re-enter the workforce from being on long-term disability for any length of time, mm-hmm. and so ideally that's supposed to, you know, kind of ease you back into it without um, increasing anxiety too too much and and fear and all of those things. So, so I, I started my gradual return to work uh, the beginning of March, and um, my employer couldn't have been more accommodating. They couldn't have been more wonderful for everything that they provided for me. So. Um, sometimes when you are on LTD or when you're chronically ill or ill, when you go back to work, sometimes you require accommodations to assist you so that you can be successful in your gradual return and successful in returning to the workforce. And so sometimes there's, um, special accommodations that are made to support that. Uh, and for me, the accommodations that I required, um, this time going back to work were, um, you know, to be in a place with little noise or distractions. Mm. Um, uh, so, and and not a place where there's um a lot of people. So not where it's really really busy and chaotic. Um, somewhere a little bit quieter is easier for me to to handle. Um, and also um, easy tasks initially with like no deadline, no no pressure um, so what I started doing when I started back I was doing some research for um, some policies and procedures that this new unit I was in was was kind of getting set up and so they had procedures and policies they have to put in place. And so I was doing some research on that and all of those things were fine with um, work. I actually didn't have any, any problems with the work, the people were great, the environment was great. Um, the work itself was fine. It definitely wasn't complex in any way. However, you know, I did enjoy it. I was in provincial archives for a few weeks and I've never been in that area. So it was kind of interesting. Hmm. Um, and so basically what happened is, um, I think it was probably, I think it was April 18th, actually, that <clears throat> we had a meeting with um, my insurance provider and my employer and um, to discuss how my gradual return to work was going and by this and time you
1: were back full-time right or were no
0: okay. no I wasn't back full-time so April 18th I was just at 16 hours a week okay and I believe the week of the 18th would have been my second week at 16 hours so I was doing four hours Monday Tuesday Thursday Friday mornings
1: okay what
0: I was working um, and have Wednesday I was having Wednesday as a break like in between so Uh, So, no, I wasn't back full time. And so that's when I started noticing and struggling with everything outside of work. Mm -hmm. So outside of work, it was I was having difficulty with self-care. I was having difficulty getting normal chores around the house done. Um, I felt very, was just feeling overwhelmed and confused and difficulty focusing and concentrating. And um I was just having these feelings of feeling overwhelmed, even though I knew it wasn't rational to feel overwhelmed with what I was feeling overwhelmed about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we were, we thought that it might be best to extend my gradual return an additional four weeks to give me a bit more time at 16 hours a week to try to adjust to that time frame and not feel overwhelmed. So um, I was very fortunate that everybody agreed with that, everybody approved it, and so that's what I did. And unfortunately, the last couple of weeks, uh, my symptoms have only been getting worse, um, which is very frustrating when you're trying to do a gradual return to work because it wasn't the work. There was no issue with the work itself or the environment. It's the illness that that and the symptoms that were uh, problematic at this time. And so this past weekend, I had a really, I think I was only up to 16 hours still, so we did four more weeks at 16 hours, and and last week was my last 16 hour week, and I was supposed to start six hours mm. this Monday, so I wasn't back full time, but I was going to do 20 hours this this week, and um, I knew when I went into work Monday that there was no way I could work till 2 p.m. I was lucky if I could make it until noon, so wow. unfortunately over the weekend I had. Um, Thought about what would be the best thing for me to do because I am trying really hard to make my health a priority, my mental health, of course, but also my physical health and spiritual health. And um, I just felt that at this time it wasn't uh, a good idea for me to be working. Um, the reason being is that um, again, my symptoms they had increased. I was irritable. I was moody. I was angry. Um, Uh, and nothing to do with the workplace or or just in general, I was just feeling that way and pretty unstable lately. So um, I just felt that it was best that at this time that I stopped the gradual return to work, which was a really difficult decision because I uh, am very hard on myself and feel that I need to um, be working full-time, I need to be able to look after my house, my responsibilities, I need to be able to do what every other normal person in society does. And when I feel I can't do that, I very much feel like a failure. Um, and not completing a gradual return to work also kind of made me feel like a failure because I wasn't able to complete it uh, successfully. Um, so it's it's quite frustrating and depressing in and of itself, just that, that experience alone. Um, however... Uh, it is the best decision to make at this time for me even though i don't want to admit that that's <laughs> what i need to do for myself so um, that's kind of kind of where i am so this is my i was off tuesday wednesday this is thursday um, and so it's even the last couple of days been a struggle but i think i slept like 14 hours last night i just really yeah. haven't been haven't been feeling well i don't care about feeding myself i having a hard time getting myself in a shower and so it's it's, um, it's frustrating, for sure, it's frustrating, but I've been here before.
1: Yeah, um, can I just ask you a logistic question? So you were yeah. supposed to go back to, I guess it would've been 20 hours, right? Yeah. Um, how come, was it not an option to just stick with the uh, 16 hours for another week, or it's kind of all or none? Um, It's not necessarily all or none.
0: It would have required another accommodation. But typically, Mm -hmm. from my personal experience, when you return to work from long-term disability or you attempt a gradual return to work, they typically prefer you to do it over an eight-week period. Mm -hmm. Um, Initially, I requested 12 weeks because eight was too fast and overwhelming. Um, And then it ended up being 16 weeks with this additional extension that I got. So, you know, it really kind of did not what happened with me didn't really go with the policies that and procedures that my right. insurance provider has. So, um, And it isn't all or nothing. I think that there might be an opportunity you know, to maybe just do part-time or something down the road. It's just that as of right mm-hmm. now, I know I'm not capable of, of any work. I actually, right. uh, last week, I hit my head on the scanner because I I can't focus or concentrate so I wasn't paying attention to what I was doing and I smashed the front of my head on the scanner so I know I'm not to uh not to be working right now because I just can't focus and concentrate my memory's quite terrible so right yeah so that's kind of where I am now Mm. which is a little bit frustrating I would like to be able to attempt another gradual return to work but I'm not putting any pressure on myself right now and just taking it one day at a time and trying to get back to basics and, and get that established and get that routine going and go from there. So,
1: yeah. You know, one of the things that sort of struck me in our like email conversation about this was, um, like I could, I could detect lots of frustration in your emails. And so I, I kind of just assumed that you were, um, frustrated, with like the logistics of long-term disability and you know I know that's a pain in the ass and all that stuff um and then you said no I'm frustrated because I can't work and and I guess you know in my mind I'm just like well you have to take care of yourself and so like when you can't work you can't work and I I honestly just never really thought about it as being frustrated that you can't work um yeah yeah. it
0: just kind of I think I mean, honestly, Mandy, how it makes me feel, it makes me feel really incapable and incompetent. Yeah. Um, I, am, I grew up in a family business. You work your butt off uh, as you need to, and most of the time that's evenings and weekends too. Yeah. So, um, you know, I have a very good work ethic, and it's very frustrating too because, unfortunately, there's a little stigma with people on long-term disability or that have chronic illness, and some people think that, you know, I have the impression that, that maybe these people are lazy, and actually, I'm, I'm not lazy at all. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm not lazy at all. And I like to work. I like working because I like uh, um, contributing and having meaning and purpose and being part of the, you know, community. And, and I like to be an upstanding citizen and be able to be self-sustaining and pay my bills and all of those things. So those things are very important to me. And so when you don't feel that you're able to do those things. It's so frustrating because all you want or what you or what I guess what I was thinking was, I just want to be OK to work like I just want to feel better. Why is it so difficult to get to a place where I can just function normally? Mm-hmm. And so that's the frustration, that portion of it. But it's also frustration that I don't have enough self-compassion for myself to be able to accept that as reality. I don't want to accept it. I'm resisting it really badly, even though I did stop working. I know that's in my best interest, but I didn't want to do it. It, I really didn't want to do it. It was very hard for me to do that because my typical, how I would have responded previously would be, you know what? You just keep going and working until you die. It doesn't matter if you feel okay or not. You just keep doing it. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So, and I know that I can't do that anymore. So,
1: yeah,
0: so, so it's that part of it because, you know, I guess I see the working that keeps me as an independent person. It keeps me, you know, a paycheck and mm-hmm. I can look after myself. I, I don't want to rely or be on any type of disability or social assistance or any of those things. I know it's there and I'm, you know, it's great that it's there and I'm very fortunate to have long-term disability. A lot of people don't have it, so I'm very, very fortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, however having a chronic illness can sometimes feel like a full-time job. So I don't know if anybody ever thought that being on long-term disability was like an extended vacation. I, I will have to say that that is completely incorrect. Um, yeah. The amount of appointments, the amount of homework, the amount of, of personal development, self-care and all of those things that are required of you when you're chronically ill is uh, very time-consuming and very exhausting when you're not at your best.
1: Well, yeah, and also just the energy that you need to expend to do things that most people take for granted, right? Like, you know, like, having a shower, and, you know, getting enough sleep that makes you feel rested, like you just said, you slept for 14 hours, like, most people can sleep for eight hours and feel rested, you know. So
0: and I woke up and I was still tired, I could have slept more, but I didn't. Um, But again, you know, sleeping is a great Avoidance technique and coping mechanism when you don't want to deal with your life for me anyway That's kind of what I resort to so I'm trying to be mindful about that not sleep too much But this week, I'm just very exhausted and so I'm trying to honor my body and listen to it which is it just wants rest so I've been trying to take it easy and um, And try to have a little self compassion for myself uh, Mm
1: -hmm. With
0: not getting things done that I think I should be getting done.
1: Yeah, does your body feel um, a little bit better this week that you've uh, not been going to work? I'm sure, like, it's so hard to differentiate because you're, like, the pressure you're putting on yourself and the lack of self-compassion is so strong that it's hard to see what your body feels. But can you can you see that at all? Or I don't know if that's the case. I can. So what I can see and what I feel
0: um, is that... Uh, so i can I can feel the anxiety in my body. Mm-hmm. I can feel my whole body vibrating right now, and there's no reason I should have feel any anxiety at this particular moment. Um, there's really no reason I should feel any anxiety at all today. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I tend to get kind of down in a funk and relapse again and and get sick, then that's typically what happens is my anxiety symptoms increase, my depressive symptoms increase. And so even though I feel, like, rested in that I know, logically, I slept 14 hours and I should just be, you know, raring to go, I'm exhausted. Like, it took everything I had to shower today and to feed myself. Because, unfortunately, when I get in this state, I lose my appetite. Um, That's a given. And so... Um, if anybody has issues with their belly or or appetite things, then they'll understand that it can be very challenging to force yourself to eat when you don't feel hungry. Yeah. Um, but you know you need to do it to sustain yourself. So, and unfortunately, those things are also taking me extra time. So, it takes me, signif- like an abnormal amount of time to do normal functions um, that other people would do at their house with like regular eating and showering and all those things. So, right. so. So it is. It's really frustrating. Like I think it's ridiculous, you know, to sleep 14 hours and wake up and still be exhausted and could sleep more. Um, So I went and got an extra large iced coffee and tried to wake up. (laughs) Uh, So it's just it's just very challenging. But I, I don't feel rested. I still have a lot of anxiety in my body. But I do believe that that's because it was extremely difficult for me to make the decision to stop working. And like I said, I'm very hard on myself about feeling like a failure in that respect uh right now and so that's kind of taking over like kind of catastrophic thinking is kind of taking over worst case scenario and so I'm I'm kind of not in a good state this week at all I'm, I'm pretty moody and irritable and cranky and mm-hmm. all those things
1: yeah yeah do you um like do you <laughs> I'm trying to think of how to word this like I mean, my, you know, as many people, my tendency is to want to fix you and to help you, right? (laughs) Like, I mean, you know that, like, I, you know, I I hate, I hate seeing you like this. I feel bad. I wish I could do something. Um, Do you, do you want, like, do you, do you need to just stay in the space for a little bit and like go through the shittiness or do you? Do you want to fix it right now? And I'm not, like, not want, like, big picture want, but, like, in this moment. Like, is it important for you to go through this process and grieve and feel shitty and, like, let it fully go through you?
0: Yeah, I think so. And that's something I never really, I don't feel I allowed myself ever to do that before. So one thing I've been trying to do to be a little bit easier on myself and have a tad bit of self-compassion is... You know, I had, I'll be totally honest, I had a big pity party yesterday for myself. I was just feeling sorry for myself. I'm like, why me? Why can't I do this? Why is it so hard? Why am I treatment resistant? Why, why, why? Right? Poor me, poor me playing the victim role, and it's kind of how I felt. But what I say to myself is, you know what? Yeah, it's a shitty situation, and you're allowed to feel like this for 24 hours. You're allowed to feel like crap. It's crappy, and you're allowed to feel it but you just can't live there. Right. So what I try to do is I give myself 24 hours and I try to come around the next day and hope that it's better. And usually that requires effort on my part, which is no problem. You know, a little bit of effort to to um, come around, but it's just not to dwell in that spot because yeah. with depression and anxiety, I mean, I can stay there. I could totally stay there. Right. I could be in bed all the time. You know, if I if I listened to what my mind told me to do, I, I, well, I don't think I'd be alive, frankly.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, to be honest. So, so I think what I'm trying to do right now is this week, I'm trying to give myself time and space to be like, okay, so this did not work out how you wanted. Um, and you basically have to start over and get back to basics and, you know, kind of, get your footing under you and just try to get your normal functioning situated and try to get some type of routine down so that I can have some consistency. And so that in hopes that I will actually feel a little bit better. Um, And in during that time, I also have to implement particular things for self care, such as meditation, I have to ensure I do that daily, or um, I'd like to, you know, physical exercise, I need to start doing that. And I've had a really horrible time implementing that in, in my um, life. So I, I'm still waiting to do that. So um, it's just really hard when you relapse. It's really frustrating because you just feel like you feel like you made progress, but then you feel like, okay, well, none of that progress matters now because I'm right back where I was four months ago. Right. Um, so it's very defeatist, yeah. I guess. It's, you know, and, uh, and when it's defeatist, it's easy to feel defeated. It's easy to get back into that rut where you're actually almost, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, mm. uh, where you're just like, yeah, well, I can't do it. So so this week, to be honest with you, I gave up. I told my psychologist and my OT and, and anybody else I talked to that I was done.
1: Yeah. I'm done
0: trying this week. I'm done everything. I'm at the point right now where I don't care about mm-hmm. anything, Um, and that's normal with depression and and anxiety. You just get to a point where you just, nothing matters. It's just, you just don't care. And that includes yourself, unfortunately. Um, and so that's where I am this week. And, uh, I've been in this space before many, many times and I've given up many times before and I always eventually come around and regain some hope. Um, it's extremely exhausting and taxing on your system Mm -hmm. and mind to, um, to kind of go through this, you know every six months or every couple of years or whatever the case is for, for me.
1: Do you think it feels different? Like, I mean, you've gone through this before you've had different like different times in the same kind of space, like how right. it must feel different. Um, you know, compared to like 10 years ago when you would have fallen into the space, um, how, oh. how does it feel different or how is it different?
0: Oh, it's totally different. I have so much more awareness, -awareness. self-awareness. I have a lot more awareness of how my illness impacts me, how my minds and thoughts work so that I can um, have a better understanding of how it's affecting me so that I have a little bit more control over trying to uh, change it Mm -hmm. for something that's healthier, a healthier way of thinking. Um, So I think... But also, too, every time you go through this, you learn things, you learn things with meds, you learn what works for you and what doesn't. So um, yeah, it's definitely every time I go through it, it is different. But I always have more knowledge, (laughs) the more I go along. So it's, a little bit easier to deal with, I guess, if I look at it in that respect, like I know I need to have self-compassion. If you had asked me 10 years ago, I'd have none. Right. I'd be in bed and I wouldn't be talking to anybody and I wouldn't be eating and I'd be, I would just stay in bed all the time. Right. So that's completely different than what I'm doing right now. If you ask me what I want to do right now, that's what I want to do. Yeah. But I know I can't do that because it's not healthy. So even though my brain is like my mind and my thoughts are like, yeah, just go nap your life away. Um, because you could, you're tired yeah. enough. Uh, it's just, I know that's not healthy for me and that won't help me. Right. So it's weird because mental illness is totally counterintuitive. <laughs> so it's a, yeah. it's a bit confusing. Yeah. Your mind is talking to you in your own voice and telling you things that aren't necessarily true. But if it's stuff your mind has been saying to you your whole life, it's really easy to get back into believing it. For sure. It doesn't yeah. take long. Well. It's the gross uncomfortableness with being ill. Yeah. It's like, it's so familiar.
1: I wonder if that's part of the exhaustion, like, because like, say 10 years ago when this happened and you would have gone and napped, um, and slept, then you may not have been battling as much because you're not battling with what your mind's saying. So, um, you're consumed by it in a different way. Whereas now maybe it's more exhausting because you're trying so hard not to be in that state.
0: Yeah. And that's exactly it. And that's for me personally, that's where the exhaustion comes from. So I force myself to get up out of bed. I force myself to shower. I force myself to eat. I force myself to, you know, if I have to go to the store or whatever. And sometimes it can take me a week to get to the store because I just can't do it. Some days I just can't do it. I'm like, I can't, I just can't get myself there. I just can't get dressed. I can't. um, And so it's hard to balance Self-compassion with, like, what's realistic and ensuring that you're not kind of um, keeping yourself sick by staying in a particular mindset um, mm-hmm. without knowing it, without being aware. So so for me, that the hardest part for me and why I'm so tired is I feel like I have to force myself to do everything. So it takes so much energy for me to do something small, like shower or eat, that after I do maybe three or four hours worth of small tasks during a day, I'm toast. I can't do anymore. My brain can't even function anymore. I think it was the other day I was here in the house, and I think I ran into, like, four different things. Like, I ran into the bed. I ran into the closet door. Like, it's just amazing how my mind is so distracted when, when I'm sick that I I don't even pay attention. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what's going on. So it's, it's very confusing, very confusing. Yeah. And obviously all of those things cause more anxiety. Yeah. Right. So again, it's a catch 22 and it's just trying to find a good balance and what works for you. And, and it's always a work in progress. I mean, this has never not been a work in progress for me ever. Mm. It's just a constant battle. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 exhausting. You know, one of the things I saw one time somebody said on depression that uh, it meant deep rest. You need a deep rest. And, uh, right. <laughs> and and I and I really agreed with that because I'm like, you do. You're just so tired. And I think that also, and you would know as a neuroscientist, I'm not certain, but I would presume that having high levels of anxiety and and treatment-resistant depression would increase my levels of cortisol and other various not-so-nice stress hormones floating through my body. So if that's happening 24-7, then that's why I right now am totally shaking. Yeah. So people online can't see me, but my hands are shaking like crazy, and I can feel all the inside of my body vibrating. Mm -hmm. And that's not because of you or this podcast that's because I'm talking about what's happening with me and that's how distressing it is to me mm-hmm. um and so that's what my body does when I'm trying to maintain my composure <laughs> yeah. right because it's hard to you know you can't go out in the world and and be a complete asshole just because you're in a bad mood and you're irritable like it just doesn't work that way people won't accept that nor should they Um, and so it's really easy to isolate yourself in in these, in these types of situations. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting that you're kind of saying that you, you know, you don't want to subject your depression onto other people then.
0: (laughs) That's right. I don't want to burden anybody. Right. The reason being, and I think a lot, I would suspect a lot of people with depression feel they don't want to burden anybody, but, um, Everybody has their own problems like regular life struggles like we all have it and some people have it worse and some people have it better and whatever the case not comparing um see so yeah, I just totally lost my train of thought
1: yeah just happened. i mean we were talking about
0: burden burdening other people yeah and so you feel like a burden because when you're depressed and you mm-hmm. have an anxiety and you have this lens on Unfortunately, your language is typically pessimistic. Your self-talk is typically quite negative. It can be. Um, so a lot of things are very negative. And also, if you're catastrophizing, then you're not seeing things realistically. And you might sound, you know, oversensitive or dramatic to some people and things like that. So I'm quite sensitive about talking to people. When I don't feel well, I usually try to retreat and avoid because I just I don't want... You know, like, I feel bad that, that you feel bad for me, like, because I'm like, there's nothing you can do. Like, I love you to death, and I wish you could wave a magic wand and make me better, but there's nothing anybody can do, you know. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: and um, it's it's frustrating, so I don't really feel sitting and telling somebody everything I'm thinking that's, that's related to my mental illness is really going to make any big difference other than maybe potentially bring them down. And that's the last thing I want to do is add something to somebody else's plate, especially if I love them and they're supportive to me. I don't want to do that. So Mm -hmm. So it's a struggle.
1: Yeah. Um, One of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you at this point was kind of as a way of like documenting this low point. Right. And um, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about I mean, you obviously agree to this. I mean, that's sort of separate, but like just that idea of documenting these low points. Have you done that before? Do you do it in other ways? Like, what do you, you know, what do you think of that? I've never done it. I think it sucks whole. I don't
0: want to do it because I don't like being, I don't like to admit I feel this shitty, Mm -hmm. to be honest. I don't want to admit that I can't function normally. It's very hard for me because I feel like I need to I have just always felt like I need to be an independent, self-sustaining, you know, person, mm-hmm. um, and so it's very hard for me to accept those things. So and when I get in a low point, typically, my <laughs> thinking is very skewed. It's very negative. Um, like I said, I, I'm irritable for no reason. I'm angry for no reason, um, and so it's. I've never documented it for the reason that probably because I just don't want to know or hear about it or remember it because chances are pretty good that we'll do this podcast, but I won't remember a blessed thing I said because right. I'm so scatterbrained and out of sorts this week.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: barely remember what I did yesterday. So um, so it's good that we're doing it to capture it. I don't disagree with it. I think it'll be interesting for me down the road to go back and listen to this and see you know how how my language was and what I felt and those things because, um, how I feel this week is extremely different from when I actually feel half decent. Um, mm-hmm. this is a really bad week for me. Um, are you so, holding yourself
1: back from crying at all right now or is it no a different level? No,
0: not right now. It's just anxiety and, and nervousness over, um, over, irrational anxiety about people judging me
1: <laughs> mm. is it worse right now
0: than like say yeah. last time we did this oh god yeah Oh, uh, my whole vo- body's vibrating yeah Wow. last time I wasn't nervous at all really yeah I know I was happy to do it last time it's not that I'm not happy to do it this time it's just different yeah it, it's not it's just not the same experience because it has a more negative tone to it because I know where I am with my illness and how I'm feeling, and so I know I'm in a shitty place, so I know it, that's gonna come out and how I behave. I just can't help it. Yeah. Which is annoying. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it is. Um, I, I mean, I can imagine it is for you. Um, it's interesting, though, the, like, the documenting part, um, or I guess kind of well, here, let me tell you what I've seen with other people with depression, like when I've had um, clients, is that, you know, when you kind of get up and like you're you're doing well and things are kind of going relatively smoothly, um, there's this fear of getting back to the state that you're in right now. And so a lot of times people won't, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to look back on it. Um, they, It's like they want to pretend or like convince themselves that they're not going to go back there. So like they're trying to get as far away from that as possible. And, you know, right or wrong, one of the things I typically talk to people about during that the times of good is that, you know, it probably will happen again, right? Like the, the reality of depression is that it cycles, like it's episodes. Yeah. There's not very you know, few people get through with just like one episode and then they're done and they've never had it again. Like if you have depression or anxiety, it's going to be episodes. And so part of what I try to talk to people about is like preparing for that state and at the very least, you know what, not uh, trying to avoid that that's a reality, you know, like trying not to pretend that that's not something that's going to happen.
0: Yeah, and I can see like I understand your perspective on it and what you're trying to do for your clients and I do think it's a good idea because it's really because you're fearful. You don't want to go back to that place. You don't want to feel that way. And even just talking about it, thinking about it, whatever, it just it sucks because it brings it all up again. And it's like, no, I don't even want to go there. I don't even want to start thinking about that because that could start me on a cycle of thinking where I'm just going to get into negative thinking and I, then I'll relapse and you're freaking out about all of it and nothing's even happened yet. Mm -hmm. You know, you're already in your head. You're already like, oh, my God, I totally relapsed like six months from now.
1: Right. So,
0: again, the catastrophizing Mm -hmm. occurs because you're not thinking clearly and you're not feeling well. But when you are well, I think that that's a great opportunity or, you know, somewhat well, that's a great opportunity to um, have another look and have a try to adopt a different perspective so that it's not fear-based living so you're not fearful of going back there because I kind of wonder now if that fuels you getting back there anyway you're so terrified of yeah. it that you do anything to avoid it and so you avoid then you're avoiding everything and then next thing you know you're like totally socially isolated and you know can't function and then you're like oh shit and, and you're you are kind also, of
1: it's a self-fulfilling uh, prophecy for sure and i also think that we get sensitized to any hint that we're yep. going back into that. And so, you know, it's like, oh, what does that mean? Is that, am I going to follow back into this depression? Am I, you know, um, and that sensitivity oh, yeah. is is too intense. Absolutely. You're hypervigilant
0: yeah. because, because, with depression and anxiety, you're always looking for the signs and symptoms of when you're getting worse. Right. And so, unfortunately, a lot of the signs and symptoms to a lesser degree um, are a normal part of people's lives. But I find for me with depression and anxiety, it's really hard for me to understand that. It's really hard for me to understand that, you know, other people need to put three reminders in if they have an event they have to go to. Like Mm -hmm. I have a reminder for a half hour before, a day before and an hour before because I can't remember anything. So, um, but there are other people who are that busy that need to do that. Right. I do it and I only have one appointment a day, but that's what I have to do because I feel disorganized in my brain. And, Um, but yeah, you get totally hypervigilant. And so as soon as one thing happens, you can get on that thought train and head right down that neural pathway that you used to go down before, which is, oh shit, here we go. That's, that happened before. And then this happened and then this happened and this happened. Oh crap. This is a sign I'm heading there. And then, then your thoughts just take over.
1: Yeah. Unhealthy thoughts, not healthy ones. Yeah. I can, I mean, just related to the like reminders. um, I'm pretty good at remembering things but I usually put it in my calendar anyway and then I have like the alert the day before especially there's certain things that I know I'm not going to remember and certain days of the week that I know I'm not going to remember things so I you know put it in for like the day before and like an hour before and then um, I scheduled a naturopathic appointment for this last Monday because I was having all this stuff go on and I and I had um, booked it online on Friday and then Totally forgot to put it in my calendar. And I was, Monday was my day off because I worked all weekend for the life coaching course. So in my mind, Monday was day off. So I didn't check my calendar. I didn't think of even knowing what the date was. And so all of a sudden I'm on my run and I'm like, oh, fuck. I just missed my natural appointment. It started a half an hour ago. And then you know what happened right after I sprained my ankle because I was so like consumed with like this feeling bad that I just missed my appointment. But uh, you know what? I recovered other than the ankle. It's like, okay, well, you know, I send my email and I said, sorry, and I get them to charge me for my fee and all this stuff, but I didn't spiral down. Right. So, you know, and so with
0: me, I would spiral down. It would be more like, oh, my God, I miss that. Oh, my God, I can't do anything right. I suck. I'm such a failure. Like, I can't even make an appointment. I can't even get there on time. Or, you know, you're just so hard on yourself. But, I mean, I don't know if that's learned helplessness or what. But it's just, um, it's real easy to get into that negative self-talk. Uh, I Unfortunately, I kind of actually think that that is part of what mental illness is, is yeah. negative self-talk. And um, it's very, when when you've been living that way for 25 plus years, it's really hard to get out of that type of thinking. Um, So it's again, and that's back to forcing yourself and that extra effort and that extra energy that it takes to try to combat these thoughts that you know, aren't rational, but you can't help how you're acting. Mm -hmm. You can't help how you're feeling. You you feel very out of control. And I think that that that's also why I retreat because I don't want to appear out of control to other people. I don't want to appear quote unquote crazy. I don't want to appear off my rocker type stuff, you know, like all the kind of stigma stuff that goes along with it. So, and there's self stigma as well, like throw self self stigma on top of it. So, um, yeah, there's just a lot of variables and factors that play in it, but, uh, being hypervigilant totally is, is, is definitely not good. So if you, are able to be in a place where you're you know your thoughts are relatively healthy and you're feeling okay I think it would be good to try to prepare for what could potentially happen I think it would be good to prepare for and understand and have some awareness about okay so these are the types of things that I look for when this is going to happen I'm going to be hypervigilant about it and I'm probably going to go on a thought train when it happens so if I can at least observe it and have the self awareness then that can it at least gets you one step further in managing the symptom yourself and having some control back, even though it's extremely difficult to do, you can do it. It just is
1: I wonder what it would be like to also identify like the red herrings, like the, you know, the things that are like, you know what, that's not actually a symptom or, or that doesn't equal me falling into an episode of depression because especially when those are the things you become hypervigilant about too, you know?
0: Yeah, Absolutely. 100%. It'd be interesting, too, to even to think, too, like when you think about depression and anxiety. So for me, I'm 42 now, but like going through school, it was abnormal psychology and like all of that stuff. And so there's something wrong with you. The people with mental illness have a problem. They're defective. And so kind of when you are going through your life and living with depression and anxiety, um, I, I don't really know how to. I'm not usually a at a loss for words. That's I know, I've never
1: seen this side of you before.
0: <laughs> I, I know, I know. This is what happens when your brain doesn't work properly. It just, like, drops out, like, I don't know, it's crazy. Um, I'm sorry, I don't even remember what I was saying.
1: Well, God. I mean, I don't know what you were about to say, but I know that the concept of, like, that, we were, that you were just talking about is that you think of this as, like, a disorder, and that there's something wrong with you, but you and I both talked about the instances or, like, the the nuances to this that are probably part of your strength, definitely part of your strength. Like, you know, like, there's the way your brain works is a good thing, and then it can turn to against you in some ways. But there's, like, clear elements of how this is a really um, important way of the human brain thinking, and you happen to be really good at it. Mm. Yeah, it's, I think, like
0: you said about the red herring, like picking out what isn't part of the symptoms, because you can get into a pattern where you're like, oh, yeah, that's a symptom. Mm -hmm. And you just assume it is, and you just assume it is, and you assume it is, so you just own it. Um, I think what might be more effective and what I'm curious about trying for myself is really switching it up and rather saying, then, you know, what's wrong with me? Why can't I fix myself? Um, Flipping it and saying, well, what is wellness to me? Yeah. What does feeling well look like? What does feeling well feel like? Um, what what will I notice if I feel well? Um, yeah. So to look for those things, right? So to kind of flip it and and kind of like the opposite of cognitive behavioral therapy, essentially. Yeah. Because that just focuses on all the problems, and you just feel like a huge problem that can't be fixed. Like that's how I feel. I just feel like I feel like a huge problem that can't be fixed. I can't even fix it, and nobody can help me, and yeah, You know, it's, it's um, you know, it's frustrating.
1: Does that seem less exhausting to think, instead of trying to stop your negative self-talk, just, like, add on, like, what I feel good at, what feels great, what feels successful, like, small, starting with small things, like, what I like about this, what I like about how my brain works. Because you do, right, yeah. talk about, you know, the things that your brain doesn't do, but, like, what are the things that you like, even about this state? Because I know, overall, it feels... Terrible, from what you've said yep. but are there like little pieces in it that are like okay I appreciate this part I appreciate how I feel about this or I see the value in this small segment of anything
0: so where I feel the most value is when I'm able to be self-compassionate because I find that really hard to do so like when I said earlier, you know, like I, have a, I have a, was having a pity party yesterday. I was bawling my head off, but I needed to get it out. It felt good to cry. So and normally I would, you know, not normally. Previously, I would have berated myself for crying. Mm-hmm. That's unacceptable. You shouldn't be crying. You're such a wuss. Don't be so weak. Get over it. You know, right. um, whereas now I try to reframe that as you're allowed to cry this is a shitty situation. Mm -hmm. You're not comparing your life to anybody else. You're comparing your life to you and what you know and how you've lived. And it fucking sucks. Mm -hmm. And you're allowed to wallow in self pity for a day. But you just can't live there.
1: Yeah, I love that.
0: I try to make sure that I give myself the space and time. And so those are the things that feel good to me, even though it's really hard for me to do. I know that those things are beneficial because I'm allowing myself a bit of space and I'm not berating myself so much, which will make me feel worse. I'm trying to allow myself to be like, yeah, you can feel shitty. You're totally allowed to feel shitty. You can have a down day. You can do whatever. Everybody has an off day. Mm -hmm. Take one, take an off day, see what tomorrow brings and start again. You know, even though it's hard to do and keep, keep that momentum and the hope and all of those things, like it's very challenging to, to maintain that. But uh, all of those little bits of self-compassion make a really big difference while you're going through the shitty part of all of this
1: yeah um I wonder like related to this if like when you're feeling like that you know hint of like you know not feeling good like potentially you know spiraling down or um yeah you probably would never take a sick day then because it's like you're you're like I don't want to think about that I you know I can't take a sick day and I, I gotta keep going I can't you know, but uh, is that true? Would you say that that's?
0: Yeah. So, so what I used to do is no, you can't take a sick day, go to work. It doesn't matter how you feel. It makes no difference. Right. The issue for me that happened with that was that I was so sick that I didn't realize that anxiety was fueling me. Anxiety was my energy Mm -hmm. and that's what got me to work. Um, right. and mm-hmm. fear of losing my job, fear of losing my income, fear of not having benefits and having my medication covered, fear of, you know, all of those things. And yes, it's one sick day typically shouldn't be a big deal, Right. but some, some employers do have uh, a, a problem when you miss work and some employers track it very closely and, you know, things like that. So the other issue with it too, is you call in sick one day, do you know how easy it is calling sick the next day? Yeah, mm-hmm. right. You can just spiral right down and you can stay in that bed forever. Yeah. So if you that's the hard part, because you want self-compassion and you want to give in a little bit, but you don't want to give in so much that you can't get up the next day and try again. Yeah. So it's a really weird balancing
1: act. Yeah. This makes me wonder, too, about um, the trust that you have in your brain, which I'm guessing is pretty low uh, yes. generally, probably more so now, but, um, uh, but just generally, right. Um, your brain or your mind, however you want to talk about it, but, yep. um, you know, are there ways to, to trust your brain? I mean, maybe it is coming back to this, like reframing and being like, okay, what do I see that's good? What do I, what am I happy about? What am I, what part of, you know, the, the self-compassion I'm, I'm proud of that, or I can do that. Like, you know, where yep. are those spaces where you can do that so you can rebuild your, your, Trust in your brain.
0: So that's a really good question, and probably an entirely other podcast session. <laughs> only only reason being is that, um, for me personally, being ill with depression and anxiety for since I was a child, um, and and not being aware that that's what it was until I was like twenty two, um, you think very negatively. Um, And because you think negatively and because I had external um, people or practitioners tell me, you know, there's nothing wrong with you, it's all in your head, blah, 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 then, you know, you don't trust what you feel in your body, you don't trust what you think, um, and you end up second-guessing everything and everything you think you second-guess, everything you say you second-guess. Um, I'd worry about what I'd say cause I'm like, well, if I'm not well, what if I hurt their feelings? Oh my God, I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. Right. And so you can just become hyper vigilant about all of that. Um, but for me, no, I don't particularly trust my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, I really have a hard time differentiating between the mental illness talking and my soul or, or authentic me. Yeah. Um, yeah talking because it's the same voice in my head
1: it's the same does it have a different energy though like even though it sounds like you
0: (laughs) yes it it does it does because I you know when I'm in the anxiety and and depression state you know sometimes I don't even notice I'll be sitting there and literally internally in my mind this is this is what's going on you're such a fucking loser you're so defective like you can't do anything I don't know why you even try this is the type of stuff that depression says to you. Right. Um, you know, I'm not like making this up and being like, "Yeah, I know I'm capable of some things, obviously, or I wouldn't have made it to 42. Right. But um, that's not what your brain and thoughts are telling you. And so it's really, I find it extremely challenging to, to determine what is real and what isn't with respect to my thoughts. Um, well,
1: so when that, so you telling me that, that's going through your brain, I mean, that has a definite energy to it. Yeah. Oh, totally. It's negative. It's yeah.
0: definitely negative. It's berating. It is, um, defeating. It is, um, just completely berating yourself. It's
1: horrible. It's also negative. very like absolute, yep. like to the point direct. Yep. What would yep. the... No, no deviation.
0: There's no deviation. Right. This is factual. This is how it is. You totally suck whole. You can't do anything. You're a failure. Don't bother trying. Just go crawl in a cave.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's very matter of fact, very black or white.
1: You know, it's funny that you're saying this because, you know, I've always, you know, talked about your coaching style, and you definitely do have two sides because, you, well, I mean, you're a gem, no, you're a Taurus, right? You're not. Um, I guess you're borderline Gemini. No, you're full on Taurus.
0: Anyway sorry um I, I was just
1: thinking about how like you like when i think of you as a coach like you've got very much like this like compassionate side like you're so compassionate you're so caring of other people around you like so much so that that's part of what causes you to retreat right because you don't yeah. want to oh, hurt it, other people it's but to then, my
0: detriment the majority of the time it's to my detriment yes. Yeah.
1: But then there's also this, like, other side of you that I also really, really appreciate, and you know this, the, like, the no bullshit, like, get this done, like, stop beating around the bush. But yeah. those are the two voices that are in your head.
0: That's correct. They are. Yeah. And I so, and no, it's not like I have two personalities, but yeah, kind of, you know. It is kind of how it is because I am like, on one hand, I'm so compassionate and I'm so terrified of hurting anybody by words or anything that I do that I'm like hyper vigilant about my actions and what I say. But I'm also hyper vigilant because I second guess everything I do because I have had so many friendships fail because I get sick and I can't deal and I can't cope. And so. Um, I try to be so careful about not negatively impacting the people in my life that I that I have in my life. And there's not very many of them because I can't, I'm not good with relationships, uh, maintaining them or, or those types of things. So, so there is like kind of of me. So there's that whole compassionate side where I'm hyper vigilant about hurting somebody. But then there's the whole other side of me, like, just get to the point, like, what's matter of fact, like, What the fuck is going on? Stop being a victim. You're being a baby. Suck it up. Like, let's deal with this and find some solutions or strategies or tools that are going to help you feel better. Um, So it's it's a little bit of both.
1: (laughs) It is, yeah. And it it feels like that side, like that, that I don't know what to call it, but that side, um, it needs needs a a space to speak, right? Like, um, whether it's like, come on, people, get with it. Like, you know, like it needs to be aired and is there a way like how can like how can you let that be aired but in a productive way where it's not all directed at you but like I mean when you talk like that I'm just like this is a person of action this is a person who's like not going to take any bullshit um you know I've said I like that as a coach like that would that style would work well with me I think of like social action and activism it's like that's the energy that like spurs people to be like this is unacceptable
0: You know, and so interestingly, I have a shitload of that because um, with discrimination and stigma, I've experienced quite a bit of unfairness um, during my little life here on Earth. So with respect to like workplace as well as school and academia and all of those things. So um, but the hard part is. is really that there's not much of an outlet for it because I don't trust what I think. So I'm very hesitant mm-hmm. to say things. You know, like, because I can do this whole po- podcast and I can go, like, two weeks from now, I can come listen to this and I'll be like, I sounded like, an if I'm in a funk, I'll be like, I sounded like a complete fucking idiot. Mm-hmm. I sound ridiculous. I don't even know what I'm talking about. I'm jumping from one side to the other and, like, I'll just totally crap all over myself. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's hard, but I... What I is, like the no no bullshit part of me. That part of me gives me strength. And to be honest with you, that is the only part that brings back hope to me. Because, right. like, it's so pissed off because it's so unfair. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, fuck this, depression, anxiety. You can go fucking pound sand. I've got to do something about this. I don't know what I'm going to do because I've tried almost everything. But I'll fucking find something because you can't win.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't want to die. I
1: know.
0: I don't want to not live. Yeah. I want – and I don't want to just survive. Right. But most of my life I've just been surviving. I would like to get to a place where, you know, maybe there's a bit of thriving and that would be cool. I would really like that, you know. So um, it's just like you said, it's a fine balancing act with all of these things. It's it's very challenging because there's so many (laughs) aspects that mental illness affects your life in so many ways. It's not just like, oh, you have crappy thoughts. No, no, not quite just that.
1: (laughs) You know, have you ever listened to anyone ranting? Like, you know, like there's professional ranters. (laughs) No? Really? Yeah, it's so funny. I was listening to an old podcast that Mike and I did like years ago, like five years ago, before I even had a space to put it. Um, I don't think I've posted it. But anyway, it was really funny because it was like all about me ranting. And I was just like, so what happened was we we had gone in – We were trying to get somewhere, and I took the wrong route. And then it was, like, an extra hour on our, like, two-hour drive. And I was so fucking pissed off because I thought we actually had left spontaneously. And we're like, we're not going to know where we're going to stay. But, like, as it was coming out, it became very clear that despite this, like, no-expectation drive that we were doing, I had very clear expectations that I wanted to get to some sun, and I wanted it to happen before 3 o'clock and, like, all this other stuff. So I was on a rant. And then it just, like this whole conversation about like professional ranters and like there was I guess um someone on CBC is a professional ranter and they come on whatever and and then I just started noticing that there's like actually a career on professional ranting and I'm like you know what if I knew that existed when I was in high school I would have become a professional ranter and yeah and so it would almost be interesting if you just like ranted But you don't have to do anything with it. So you can say whatever the fuck you want. And you don't have to worry about who you're like insulting or anything because it doesn't have to go anywhere. But it could be a form of documenting what you feel right now.
0: It could be very cathartic as well. I mean, you know, you have to have some type of outlet. And one of the things I'm wondering for me personally is I'm not... I don't really have much for a creative outlet, and I sometimes wonder if stifling my creativity most of my life, it contributes to my depression and anxiety, so um, although I don't know yet what my purpose and passion and all of that is to do in life, I do know that at the very basic level, I want to help people somehow, I want, I want to ease suffering somehow, because I know how awful it is to suffer. Um, But it's interesting to think of ranting as cathartic because Mm -hmm. you do feel so much injustice and you do feel, um, you know, unfair. I think it would be the same for somebody that was diagnosed with cancer. Like, why me? Why did I get cancer? You know, I've never smoked. I exercise every day. I, you know, you can do all of those things. You can still get cancer. It sucks. Like, it's totally not fair. Um, And so anybody getting any illness, you know, it's life changing. And, uh, and it's really hard to adapt and to, and it's really hard to accept. And, uh, I think ranting might be a really, a really good venting kind of exercise for people to do. And like you said, at least it gets it out because mm-hmm. uh, I have been told previously, you know, go, go to the ocean and, and you know, where nobody is and, and scream your head off, you know, like yeah. get that, get that out of your system kind of thing. Um, it's a- and interestingly that we're talking about this, I actually get kind of like mad and I want to like throw and destroy things like a child. I want to have a temper tantrum is basically mm-hmm. what I want to do Yeah. because I'm pissed, right? Yeah. And I, I think actually, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Really. I don't
1: either. See, it's I don't, not. I
0: don't really think it's a bad thing. I think it's, it's you know, you kind of need to feel your way through that so that you can get it out of your system and be like, okay, now I'm a bit calmer and I got that out of my system. You know, maybe I can think realistically now. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, it would be interesting, I would be interested to hear how that goes for you if you do that because I totally think the creativity, if we stifle our creativity, our creativity, whatever it is, it's part of who we are and I'm very much of the believer that if we don't let ourselves be who we are, there is going to be some form of depression that kicks in Um, and then there's all these other layers that can like, you know, sort of capitalize upon that environment of depression. But, um, yeah, I think if we spend our our bulk of our life or bulk of our day not being true to who we are and expressing ourselves, then it's going to take its toll. So I would love to see you express that. And I would love to see you capture it even without deciding to do anything, just to, like, like do it and, I don't know, maybe record it. Because maybe later if you decide you want to share it with me. (laughs) (laughs) I'll put it on my podcast. (laughs) Well, you know...
0: Maybe it's not that I couldn't do it. I think it would be really hard for me to rant and not use real people's names.
1: <laughs> you do it though.
0: I don't know, but I I just I wouldn't use their last name, of course. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot I could rant about. Human rights is certainly one of them. Discrimination is another, and and mental illness, in and of itself, is is a whole other can of worms. But it's just. Um, Yeah. It it could be be cathartic. And and, and I don't know who I am. And I've never felt I've known who I am because I've always looked externally to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I was trying to be what my dad wanted me to be or what I thought he wanted me to be. I, I was trying to be what society wanted me to be. I'm doing everything that everybody, all the health practitioners are asking me to do, and it's not working. And so I get really frustrated because I feel like I have to keep um, validating or proving or providing evidence that you know I actually have an illness people like mm-hmm. I, I have an illness I'm trying my hardest and if you can't see that tough shit mm-hmm. you know you get to a point where you're so fed up with it for sure because you know uh, just a perfect example I was to a psychologist yesterday and you know one, one of the things that she said to me and she's like you know this is our 40 second session Wow. And you just stopped working. She's like, so if any other psychologist looked at your file, they would ask me, why am I counseling you? Because it's not working. And so it kind of hurt my feelings
1: a bit. That's all she said. She didn't
0: follow well, up. with she said she said that, but she said, but I'm not. She said, but I'm not giving up on you. You know, but still, it. You know, it. That was it. It still hurts because you feel like you're. You know, you're so much of a fucking problem you can't even grasp to get better. Yeah. You've had forty two sessions. What the fuck is your problem? Nobody can bother with you now because you're hopeless. Yeah. I mean that's the first thing you think is hopeless. Well, that's right? because
1: the depression is picking up on that particular
0: phrase. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Absolute absolutely. And that's that hypervigilance coming in again and grabbing on to that. Yeah. Which is, yeah, no, you're right. You know what? You're validating my depressive thoughts, which is <laughs> you're right. <laughs> I'm a total failure. I suck. I can't uh, come up with appropriate and implement strategies and tools that you're teaching me um, because I'm just too fucking stupid, apparently, you know, like or whatever the case is. Yeah. So this is a
1: good rant. This would be a great segue into a rant. You could go on for like because and actually, Dawn, like that's a really important piece, because to be honest, that was a really stupid fucking thing that the psychologist said to you. They should know better because you no, don't but they don't i know but you don't say something like that to a person who's depressed like i know you don't <laughs> but you don't
0: tell a child that it's all in their head and there's nothing wrong with them like I i've know. had so many experiences like that with the medical community and medical practitioners no offense to any doctor friends or anybody that i know but like nobody you don't go to a doctor and like so you know what did you get in med school a d or an a plus you know like oh. i'm not i'm not judging them on how well they're able to help me. I'm just doing the best with what they provide me. And uh, feeling like when you're depressed and nobody's recognizing that you're trying. Mm-hmm. You know, I made every appointment. I never missed an appointment. Wow. That is really hard for me to do. I don't even want to go to an appointment. I don't even want to take pills and I'm on medication. Like, yes. you know, so it's very hard to do those things. It takes extra energy. It takes extra effort. And it is exhausting. It's exhausting. Um, but it's very frustrating when you don't get any validation of people noticing that, you know, I know you're trying your best and I'm sorry. I don't I don't know what to do because it's not working. Yeah. You know, nothing we're doing is working. Right. So um, it's hard not to take that on personally and own that. Like it's you. that That's the problem with you. Right. You can't you don't get it. How hard is it to go to the gym? Get off your ass go to the fucking gym. It's not that hard. Yeah. Right. Sorry, I've been trying to do it since, oh, I don't know, January? I haven't gotten there once. Yeah. So even just the thought of going to the gym, I feel overwhelmed. So I guess I need to explain that to people that just the thought of of going to the gym, the thought of having to um, get my gym clothes ready get my sneakers drive to the gym go into the gym there's other people at the gym I don't know them I don't want to see them I don't want to work out in front of them right there's a million things that go through my head and then I'm already like yep no not going I'll fail anyway there's no point going why bother trying so then that's that learned helplessness again right why bother trying Mm -hmm. there's no point I can't do it couldn't do it before why could I do it now so, yeah, it's crazy. It's a, it's a rat maze in my brain, I'm telling you. It's just, it's wacky. Wacky tobacky. So.
1: Well, thank you for uh, inviting me into your brain again to <laughs> talk about this. <laughs> oh, my pleasure. Uh, it's always a fun place to be. <laughs> I know. Well, and I think as we ended last time, I think it was something like, we could keep talking forever, but um, yeah. for the sake of a, a podcast. Um, yep. We can stop talking about this, but uh, we'll follow up again. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, hopefully uh, I'll get back to basics in the next
0: couple of weeks and try to get a tiny bit of a routine going and get some rest and get some vitamins and those small, just baby steps, but uh, they all make a really big difference. So um, that's kind of my focus right now, and hopefully I will have a better frame of mind uh, in a couple of weeks down the road, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) And if not, well, then I guess I'll just do another rant. I don't know.